Hi friends, welcome to the Universal Sisterhood Podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter, and be the authentic woman she was designed to be. Every human heart has been created to be known, loved, and understood. So this is the place where women can share their stories. Welcome to episode 74. Spiritually, we're all called to remind one another of who God is. When somebody reminds us of Our Lady, we are also being reminded of our Lord, because she will only ever point to Him. We need reminders so badly today of what God's heart looks like. There is so much disfiguring going on. The disfiguring of his face and the disfiguring of his heart, of of a world that is godless, with pride and power and disunity everywhere we look. Today's conversation with Stephanie is such a beautiful, timely reminder that God is the one in control, not man. And he gives you the grace to get through whatever he puts before us. So like Our Lady, we have to trust him with our lives, even when we don't understand what's going on. In Our Lady, God found the complete acceptance of his will. He had waited for this from the beginning of time, for this complete acceptance of faith. And today's conversation with Steph, she she reminded me so much of this with her painfully beautiful personal story. You're, You're going to leave this conversation a different person. You're going to think about things, hopefully, a little bit differently. Um, I know I did and am. Please feel free to share this episode with a friend if you think that it's going to help them along the way because allowing other women to walk this journey together with our broken hearts and um, never-ending hope is so, so vital for the journey. It's such an important um thing that we need to get along this to to get through life especially life today um so i really encourage you to share this with your friends and before we dive into the conversation i really want to remind you that on the 7th of may um, i am hosting the shine retreat for all women of all ages and stages in their faith journey Uh, to encounter not only each other but to encounter him the one that loves you the one that calls you his beloved Um, I really really strongly invite you to come on this retreat it's only one day and I really want you to experience just a taste of how much he loves you So the link is in my bio on my Instagram page or you can email me at universalsisterhoodpodcast.com.au .com, I think, no AU. Um, But the link is in the bio in Universal Sisterhood um, Instagram page. Enjoy this episode and share it with a friend. Have a lovely day. 
I have a beautiful guest across the pond who I cannot wait to hear her heart. I discovered Steph last year, I think. Somebody asked me to pray for you and I was just, I did pray for you and I still do. But you captivated my heart because I loved your story and I'd love the women of Australia to hear your story. So before we dive in, could you tell us who you are and what your life looks like right now? Sure. Well, I have to start by telling you that Australia is one of my favorite places in the world. Oh. It was the first place that I ever traveled internationally. My father is a Catholic author and speaker and Sydney was hosting a Australian Catholic family conference in 1995. I was 14 years old and they asked my mom to come speak too, but she was expecting one of my siblings and she could not travel. So my dad said, well, my daughter can speak for her if, if you want my daughter to come and they said yes. So my dad signed me up for my first speaking engagement. I was 14. So that was my no. first Catholic conference, my first speaking engagement. And I had two weeks with my father touring your beautiful Australia, fell in love with the people and every everything about it. So anyway, I had oh. to start and tell you that. So you are all- So where did you go, Sydney? We were, we stayed in Sydney for a week and then Brisbane for almost mm -hmm. a week. So those were our two places. And mm -hmm. then we got to tour around and do all the things and, you know, pet the koala bears and all of that. So did you go swimming? Anyway, I hope to come back. I send you all my love and hope to come oh, back someday. Please do. Um, but my life right now, I am, uh, I am a Catholic wife and mother. I stay home with my four children and I homeschool them. Um, I also dabble in, have my hand in many ministry things. I use social media to uh, speak into the hearts of women, especially mothers. Um, it is just a passion of mine to encourage mothers with the value of what they do, especially in the quiet of their homes. Mm -hmm. um, so I have had different roles in and out of different ministry things as my motherhood has changed and how much time I have to give. Sometimes it's been radio, sometimes it's writing, sometimes speaking. Right now it's pretty quiet, just home with my, my children and my family. Um, but we live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my husband's name is Peter, and I have three boys and one daughter and one very big dog. We always like to say that too. <laughs> what kind of dog is he? He's a German shepherd. Oh, he's big. <laughs> yes, he, he's big. He's big. He's a big old teddy bear, but nobody knows that. Everyone's afraid of our dog. <laughs> Don't, don't tell them. Um, Steph, do you like being called Steph or Stephanie? Yes, everybody calls me Steph. I'm happy. Okay. I answer to both. Okay, good. Um, interesting to say that your father um, was a Catholic speaker because I don't, your, your past, you were not Catholic. Is that right? You were a convert? Correct. He was an uh, evangelical uh, minister. Uh, pretty well known in the Presbyterian uh, denomination. And three of his classmates from seminary, there's three of them converted to Catholicism within three years of each other. And um, it was unheard of and very shocking at that time. It was the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and so they, they kind of were on a theological journey and quest Together, they read and studied themselves out of their ministries and careers and into the Catholic Church. So um, all three of them became Catholic authors and speakers and continued ministry 
in some way, really just um, sharing their stories and explaining Catholicism to uh, an evangelical Protestant audience. So, um, so yes, I was a pastor's kid till I was about 10 years old. And then um, my family converted to Catholicism. So, yeah. Fantastic. I love, I love how you talk about music because music to me was not something that we listened to growing up. It was, it was probably too Protestant. Um, but it has been the one thing that has um, given my faith such a depth and um, has sustained it in the last, through this whole pandemic, mm -hmm. because it gives language to words, to feelings, to emotions that you just can't actually put words to. It, I yes. find it's carried me so beautifully. Yes. Um, and yes. I'm a big a big advocate of worship music, beautiful Catholic music too, like yes. Latin and chants and things like that, yes. but far out. Has it, has it opened my heart actually to my faith? Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. You know, it's funny because I have experienced um, both flavors of Christianity, being a pastor's kid and, and now being a Catholic for more of my life than I was an evangelical Protestant. But I, what I've experienced is that many Catholics are afraid of praise and worship music, mm -hmm. similar to sometimes how they're afraid of just opening their Bible and reading the Bible for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, almost afraid that it's too Protestant to do either of those things. Mm -hmm. And with my Protestant brothers and sisters, I see a similar fear of prayers that are written and already composed because in an evangelical world, we're very used to spontaneously praying. And uh, Catholics are like, no, no, we have all these beautiful prayers. There's the prayer of St. Francis and St. Patrick and St. Faustina gave us the divine mercy, you know, all of these things. And I feel like, you know, one group's afraid they're going to catch the Catholic and the other group's afraid they're going to yeah. catch the Protestant. But both have their roots in something that's so core to being human. We need, um, in certain times, we need the prayers written out because we can't think, we can't come up with it ourselves. We maybe are in a place where we have no words. We need those prayers. And there's a way that music, God has created music to move us, to move the human spirit. Um, David danced before the Lord with glad tambourine. It was not quiet music. <laughs> and that is straight from scripture. And I think there's something about uh, being moved by the joy of the Lord through music that, um, is very spiritual and for me has been uh, very healing in, in my journey of faith to just be able to listen and let it move me that way. Mm. Brings me a lot of peace. Yeah, me too. So can we dive into your story? Sure. The, the most beautiful story I have heard in a very long time. Oh, thank you. You just want me to start at the beginning and go. Has, this has be Beckett's name all over it. No, start <laughs> from the beginning and go. I was actually reading this just before you hopped on. I bought it yesterday. I have um, I have a problem with books. I oh, tend me too. To <laughs> yeah. Cause of, cause of our joy by Mother Mary Frances. And she says here that Our Lady shows us that suffering has a meaning even if we don't understand it. And I thought, mm. oh how beautiful to read those words just before you speak because mm -hmm. our lady really not not broke into your life she was already there but she clearly 
Oh, she did. She broke into my life. That's oh, a did very she? good way of describing it. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's go so for it. Tell my us. story, my story. The reason you have asked me here is because I gave birth to my fifth child in October of 2019. And um, I was in my late 30s at the time. Um, and because I was over 35, they treat you like you're geriatric and you have, you know, a hundred thousand doctor's appointments and ultrasounds and the 4D treatment on everything. And so I had had so much care during this pregnancy. I was very confident that um, my baby was going to be born healthy with no complications. Um, everything had tested out great. So uh, when, when he was born, he was born by emergency C-section at 38 weeks. I had gone in for another ultrasound just to check up on things. And they discovered that I had very like scary low amniotic fluid. So they said, honey, you're going to meet your baby today. Go home and get your bag. Meet us at the, you know, at the hospital. So that was, had not been my birth plan. Um, but he was born, uh, my little Beckett Martin was born October 26th. And he at birth received a clean bill of health. No, no worries, no issues. Everyone was concerned about me because it had been a pretty scary delivery. And then as we were being discharged from the hospital to go home, uh, the pediatric, uh, the pediatrician who was discharging him just took a long time examining him in our room. And she turned around and said to Peter and I, you know, I hear something in his heart that doesn't sound right. And I'm just going to go get one of my colleagues. We're going to come back in. We're going to listen to his heart again together. I just would like a second opinion before I say anything. So she brought in her colleague and they, um, they took him over kind of to a corner. So they had some privacy, examined him again for quite a long time. And then she turned around and talked to us. And she said she was pretty confident that Beckett had something wrong with his heart. It didn't sound like it should. So he was there. They were going to keep him. We were not going to be discharged that day. They were going to keep him for tests. And she said, I'm, I'm pretty confident. He also has something called down syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? And we're like, yes, we've heard of that. Um, and it was just a very, very surprised diagnosis. Beckett was missing some of the very easy, um, to tell markers of down syndrome, like, um, down syndrome children, don't have two lines in, on their palm the way you and I do, but Beckett did. He had two lines in his palm. He didn't have a lot of extra fat on the back of his neck. Certain things that are very um, easy to spot markers for Down syndrome. Um, so we didn't know for sure for about two weeks because we had to um, send his blood work in for his genetic testing and everything, but his team was pretty like 99% confident before we left the hospital that he did have Down syndrome. And we did find out before we went home that Beckett had a very significant hole in his heart and that the only way he would live to adulthood was with open heart surgery. There was no other way that his heart would be able to um, survive um, past maybe five, six years old without that open heart surgery. So we knew when we left the hospital with Beckett that surgery was in our future we were pretty confident that he had Down syndrome. Um, so we took him home to just love on him. There was nothing we could do at that point with our newborn except love on him and care for him as a, a normal newborn. Uh, we waited about 10 days to tell our other four children that Beckett had some health difficulties. We just really wanted them to fall in love with their baby brother and get to know him for Beckett before we concerned their little hearts about anything. 
And uh, the only concern they had when we told them was, was Beckett going to be in pain? Was he going to suffer? And we told them that we had a great team and Beckett had wonderful doctors and they would help him, you know, with medicines and surgery so that he wouldn't have to suffer. Um, and then my husband told them that God needed the four of them, Beckett needed the four of them to be Beckett's helpers, that they we needed to help him extra much because he was going to struggle with learning to walk and talk and eat more than others did. And they all were like, sign me up. We will be his helpers. We will be his, you know, cheerleaders. And they were for every day of Beckett's short life, they were his cheerleaders. So Beckett was about four months old when the pandemic shut down the world. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people didn't meet Beckett except through social media because everyone was home in their houses. And we were home in our houses, especially with a medically fragile child. We were, um, we were definitely home for most mm -hmm. of 2020. Um, but Peter and I made the decision together that we would tell Beckett's story through my social media platform. And so we did, and we didn't sugarcoat it. We told what it was like to have a child with special needs, a child with Down syndrome and a serious heart issue. And we celebrated the joys and we let people see who Beckett really was. And we also shared the hardships and the stress and the worries that we had and the difficulties that we had um, learning to be a special needs family because that's what you become. It's not just your one child, but you become a special needs family all working together. Um, and so we shared that for all of 2020. And as um, 2020 neared an end, Beckett turned one, uh, we took him in for his one-year-old heart checkup. And uh, he had an echocardiogram, which is pretty much an ultrasound on the heart. So it can see every single chamber of the heart in just amazing detail. Every little aspect of the heart can be seen on these uh, special echocardiograms. And his doctor came in after we had done the procedure and said, his heart has changed quite a bit in the last month. He's, the pressures in his heart are um, not where they should be. And instead of being about four years old, where we thought he would have open heart surgery, he said, I think it needs to be done before Christmas, which was um, just a big, a big shock. That was a big, we weren't expecting that news and we um Beckett seemed normal to us like everything was progressing as it should so that was tough and we did um some tests some pretty invasive tests to see um what the pressures were in Beckett's heart how his lungs were reacting to certain things they wanted to see if he could withstand open heart surgery because it's very hard on a baby that young you know 12 13 months old um, very medically fragile baby. And we ran these um, procedures and a, a whole medical team, it wasn't just our doctor, decided that Beckett's lungs were too weak to have surgery. So we really became stuck in this rock between a rock and a hard place of his lungs were too weak. He was diagnosed with uh, pulmonary hypertension. And for anyone who knows what that is or knows someone who suffers with it, it's very serious. Anything with the lungs is so serious and hard to treat. And he also had this big old hole in his heart. So uh, we spent five months going back and forth. What should we do? Constant tests. 
every specialist in the United States on heart or lung, you know, pediatric heart and lungs knew Beckett's case. Everybody was calling everybody. Everybody was looking at his charts and files and, and you know, video imaging of his heart, trying to figure out how do we help this child? Um, and then fast forward to April of 2021, Beckett was about 16 months old, almost 17 months. Um, he had a G-tube procedure. Uh, he wasn't gaining weight as he should, which is normal for babies with Down syndrome. Um, Beckett had a lot of sensory issues, so he didn't like to swallow anything that wasn't liquid. Uh, so his team thought it would be in his best interest to put in a G-tube so that we could get that extra nutrients in him, hopefully fatten him up a little bit so that if we could get that go-ahead, that green light to have heart surgery, he'd be in a good place. So he had the G-tube procedure. And a G-tube is supposed to be the most easy, no-brainer, don't, mom and dad, don't panic. There's no reason to panic. We do this a thousand times a day kind of procedure. And there's truly like a one in a million percent chance that something can go wrong. And Beckett was one, the one in a million. Um, we took him home and didn't know that um, the G-tube, the peg had ruptured through the abdominal wall and was literally like coming out of his stomach. Um, but it was all internal, so from the outside you couldn't you couldn't tell. But the pain, was he upset? He was upset, but he had just come out of surgery, so yeah. They, yeah. they expected him to be. He had been, you know, intubated. All you know, he'd been put under, so they expected him to be. Yeah, basically. Um, but he was going downhill pretty rapidly. Like so I, we knew something was wrong. We just didn't know what was wrong because it was so unusual that something like that would happen. Um, so Beckett, uh, pretty much had a pulmonary crisis. He had a lung crisis because he couldn't really breathe in with this pain. And it's not like it was just this horrific, um, thing that happened. So we came back to the hospital through the ER. He almost died that first night in the ER it was very scary. They were able to stabilize him and move us up to the PICU. And uh, we were there for about 24 hours and he went into cardiac arrest and his heart stopped for just over 12 minutes. And we thought that was probably going to be it. Like it was such a long code and um, he was already so sick. And at that point, we didn't know that the jeep tube was rupturing. Like we hadn't been there long enough for them even to figure that out yet. Um, so that was definitely a life-changing event for both my husband and I. We were there watching. Um, and at that point, Beckett was intubated, um, sedated, paralyzed, all that. They were able to, to bring him back, but they had to um, you know, sedate him, put him under again and everything. And he was in that room, PICU room 11 from that day until May 11th, which was many weeks later, about five weeks later, and uh, Beckett passed away May 11th, 2021. He was um, just over 18 months old. So that is, that is our roller coaster ride. It was a short ride. 18 months goes so fast when you're so in love and someone has brought so much joy to your family. Mm -hmm. um, it was also terrifying and just as traumatic as it sounds. Um, definitely changed our family forever. But it, uh, it brought us to our knees, it brought us to the cross, 
it brought us to the Blessed Mother. The depth of suffering um, is a gift because you, you encounter Christ in a neediness that you don't have when you're not suffering. Mm. And that stripping is beautiful. It's, it's, it's terrible and beautiful at the same time. Everything, everything in the Christian life is this tension between mm. the joy and, this, and the sorrow, the, the blessedness and the brokenness. It's all attention. And when you suffer, you see that tension, like everything, you see it, you smell it, you taste it in a way that you can't when everything's going well. Yeah. So that is Beckett's, Beckett's story. He, uh, he died baptized and confirmed with all the graces that the Catholic church could bestow upon a toddler. And so the church recognizes uh, Beckett's sainthood that he went straight to the throne room um so that is both just an honor and it's still is hard for me to comprehend that mm -hmm. that we are related to a little saint in heaven interceding for us um, I, I loved what you you his funeral was a it was white it was a funeral of the yes. angels or so it's called the catholic church does not do a record a requiem for infants who die in a state of grace because they know that we're not praying for the soul to be in heaven, that the soul is in heaven. So it's a special liturgy um, and it's only done for these children under the age of reason who the church knows for sure die in a state of grace. So um, yes, yeah, so it, you don't wear black. There is no begging God's mercy. It is the Alleluia of Easter, the entire liturgy. It's very beautiful. Um, we had a beautiful choir come in to sing the mass and they were so just honored and excited to be able to do the liturgy because it's just, you don't get to do it very often. And they just, um, they did such a beautiful job. So I had a black dress. Um, it, it's one of those things where all of a sudden you have to go to a funeral. I, I went out and got the black dress right away. And then um, as I learned, I didn't know about the mass of the angels until they told me my son was having one. And I was Oh, this is not this is not black and mournful. This is a celebration. This is the Easter glory. So we asked everyone to wear their Easter dresses, wear your bright colors, wear the flowers, and um, and so I, my daughter and I wore white dresses to Beckett's Beckett's funeral. So even in that, a church full of Easter best was a testament to what God does and His mercy and His just His glory in all things. Beautiful. How the tension, you're so right. There is this holy tension between suffering and joy. Mm -hmm. And they actually, they actually not complicate, they go hand in hand, even though they you do. cannot wrap your head around it. Mm -hmm. Only somebody who has suffered can actually see that. Yes. That joy. Um, well, when you suffer, you get to the end of yourself. And I think mm -hmm. as humans, we, there's so much that we try to control, that we try to fix, that we try to manage. Maybe we try to put something in a box or ignore or just muscle our way through. But true suffering, when you are brought so low, like not just on your knees, but your face is in the ground. And everyone listening has been in that place. You know it. You know what I'm talking about, where you have gotten to the end of yourself. That is where Christ truly can take over because you have to surrender everything you have nothing left to hold on to you must <laughs> surrender and it's the place where you allow him to start picking you up yeah 
and he does make all things new. He does carry it for us in a way that we cannot carry it ourselves. We cannot fix true suffering, um, true pain, but he can. He can carry it with us and for us. And um, in that way, it has been very beautiful for our family to um, be brought low in that way so that he can lift us up and experience that because it is, it is truly, it is the love of God plain and simple that's what it is and it's not to say that you you don't experience pain and loss mm -hmm. and like now oh absolutely just, not just still we are we still... are such a hot mess I can't even yeah. tell you <laughs> yeah yeah the grief is terrifying and with time it gets worse in in mm. a sense because um time literally you'll get you're moving further away you just, from... it's never when you have lost someone it's not going away it's not ever going away in this life. And just that alone is so depressing. Sometimes I think I have to carry this for a long time. And it's not just, I have to carry this today and tomorrow, but I have to keep carrying it. Um, it is very hard. It's very hard. Um, and also to be a, a close family, it's not just one of us grieving, it's all of us in our yeah. own ways, in our different ways, with our different personalities and temperaments and good days and bad days. And yeah. um, so it's it's a circus of a hot mess. It really is. And I try to be very honest with that because, um, you know, I think there can be a tendency in Christian circles where we slap a Bible verse on everything and say, okay, you know, he's the great healer. It's all taken care of all good. No, it's not. He comes in the midst of so much messiness and it's still messy. Yeah. Um, and I'm still hurting. Okay. Yes. Still absolutely hurting almost worse. Now that the shock and the adrenaline have worn off, you know? Um, and you yeah. see other people's lives kind of just move forward as they did before mm -hmm. and yours is yes. irrevocably changed mm -hmm. yeah um there is yeah. that surrender again trusting mm -hmm. god even though you don't know how or why or because yes. you want to mm -hmm. <laughs> you have nothing else right yeah um could you speak into our lady and sure. how how she showed up for you mm -hmm. <laughs> because i just i i i'm i mean we're all on a journey and um, I've always had a beautiful devotion to Our Lady, but in my reversion, you know, when I made my faith my own, I realized that I had ignored Jesus for so long. And I was like, more, I'm saying, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that I ignored you. Mm -hmm. And I went to your mother and she spoke to my heart very, very peacefully and non-judgmental and very serenely and said, you don't need to apologize because I always bring people to my son. I, you know, nothing is wasted. And it was such a, like, the Catholic Church is so beautiful in all its, we have so many parts that direct us all to yes. our Lord. Yes. And nothing's wasted. And I love how this convert, this is in my head, there was this convert who, God brought Our Lady into your life in such a beautiful way to, to reintroduce her to you mm -hmm. and, and bring you closer to himself. 
and yes. I just, like in your suffering like that to me is just breathtakingly beautiful could you explain or tell tell us sure. what happened? so I have the opposite story I have always felt so comfortable in my relationship with Christ like I have known that he loved me from a very young age almost like a, a uniquely young age um I can recollect being almost a toddler and having a deep relationship with Christ. Um, not so much Mama Mary. I didn't pay her much attention except maybe her place on the, you know, in the nativity scene at Christmas, like in my Protestant household growing up. Um, as a Catholic, I tried to force devotion to her, I would say. Like praying the rosary was just I would do it because I felt like I needed to, to be a good Catholic, but not because I wanted to or felt any closeness to her in, at, at all. Mm -hmm. um, I felt so comfortable praying to Christ and reading the scriptures and like having a devotion to him that I just almost felt she was extraneous in my faith walk. Mm -hmm. And I tried as my children kept coming <laughs> I would try to almost force this devotion to her because I wanted my children to have a devotion to her. I, I knew that was the Catholic way, but it was more of a forced, it came naturally to them because they grew up in a Catholic home. But for me, yeah. I was, I was kind of forcing it to be a good mom. And then Beckett came along and my, the suffering in my motherhood did not start with Beckett's suffering and death. It started with his birth because you start carrying things in your heart when you know that your child is going to suffer. Your child's gonna have a lot of hardships and difficulties in life. And Beckett did. He had, there were so many things that even on the Down syndrome spectrum were so hard for him, you know? And as a mother, you carry all of that. You, every little difficulty you carry in your heart. And as I, progressed in that journey, being Beckett's mother, I came to understand Mary's motherhood in a new way. That how everything that was difficult for him, she was carrying too in her heart. Not just the things that, you know, we, we contemplate in the mysteries of the rosary or the things we know from scripture that along his life, especially the hidden life that we don't know much about before before he started his public ministry, she was carrying a lot in her heart. And I started to understand her as a mother. And as my motherhood became more needy, I started to rely on her so much more. And when Beckett, uh, when he coded last April, it was April 19th, and his heart stopped for those 12 minutes. Two things happened that um, were just little Marian miracles. One was the night he coded, nobody knew about it except our pastor, our immediate family. We were texting, you know, waking up in the night. It happened very late at night. And the next day I heard from a friend of mine who's a Catholic artist. She had been asleep in her bed and was woken up like a startling wake up. Like sat, she said, I sat straight up in bed with an image of Beckett in a crib with Peter on one side, Peter and I on one side and the Blessed Mother on the other side holding Beckett's hand. She knew he was very sick in her dream. So she started praying the Memorare just like over and over again. She said, I prayed it hundreds of times before I fell back asleep that night and found out the next day through the Catholic grapevine that that's the night that Beckett's heart had stopped. So she didn't know, but she had had this image. Mm 
And she later painted Beckett holding Mary's mantle. So there's a picture, there's, we have a holy card for Beckett and it's the image that she had in her dream of Beckett holding his blanket, but she painted it as if it was Mary's veil holding, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's got all the stars, Mary and stars on it. And she painted the memorary prayer around Beckett. So that came from this dream. So that was happening that same night after Beckett was uh, stabilized and everything, he's intubated, he's unconscious. There's really nothing that Peter and I could do for him that night. The nurses said, you have got to leave the hospital. You've just been through the biggest trauma a parent can go through. You need to go walk outside or get some fresh air. So it's about two in the morning, but they pretty much kicked us out of the pickets and you must go for a few, at least for a few minutes. So we went outside and we were, we weren't sure what to do. So I said, well, there's a Catholic church about three quarters of a mile down the road. It's not the church we attend, but I knew it was there and I knew they had perpetual adoration. At least I thought they did. I didn't know what their COVID policies were, but we drove down and it was black as black can be, no lights on anywhere. And the code to get in the adoration chapel wasn't working. So we thought, well, it's completely closed up. So for some reason, Peter walked around to the side of the church. And there was a door propped open with, you know, one of those door prop things, wide open. The door is just wide open with a prop in it. Peter's like, Steph, there's a door open. No one's there. Not a car inside. Nobody. And so we walked in and we went through like this alcove and it was like the back youth ministry rooms. And we ended up in the main church and the only light on was on the tabernacle. And we mm -hmm. walked right up to the front of the church. We knelt down and I said, I don't even know what to say. Peter said, our presence here is our presence. We only stayed for maybe five minutes and walked back out the door. We came, we, had, we closed the door. <laughs> I really believe that angels opened that door for us there. I don't know how else to explain it. It was the most bizarre thing, but we were able to come be with Jesus for a few minutes. And we went back to Beckett and I walked into the room and I put my head on his head. And the moment I did that, I had an image of Beckett and the Blessed Mother, and he was holding her hand. And it was a moment of supernatural consolation for me because I knew that whatever happened going forward, and at this point we were still, we had no idea if he was making it through the night or two days, we had no idea what was to come. I knew that Beckett's highest good was to be with her, not with me. And I think that in my heart, I gave him to her in that moment. Like I knew she could do for him far more than I could. It was better for him to be with her. Um, and so that was, that, was my, that was my Mary story. She came to us in so many ways over the next five weeks. People, there's, I, I have kept them all. I've kept every story that people have written me about what happened between with Beckett and Mary in their life like there are so many stories it's um very humbling to be a piece of this puzzle because there were so many things that happened conversions that took place people who came back to confession after 20 30 years away from the church I mean mm. crazy things as they prayed for Beckett um and I believe that when he died that she came to take him home I really do and I have no, like, I didn't see anything or I just feel that, um, that she did. 
I believe that she took him to her son. He died, we were singing to him the Regina Chaley, which was his favorite lullaby actually. <laughs> and uh, it was during the Easter season. So they were singing it at the end of mass at that time of year. And we knew in the last moments, I knew that they were his last breath. So I started singing it and Peter sang it with me and he literally died as we sang the Regina Chaley. So he, he was Mama Mary's boy. He really was. I hope that he still is. I hope he's, he's being very good to her in heaven. He, and um, he he's really behaving did. himself. Yes. He, he brought me, my son brought me to the Blessed Mother for sure. And now I rely on her for everything. Mm -hmm. I really do. I feel like I understand her heart. Um, and the fact that we still have devotion to her under the title of her sorrowful heart um, is very meaningful to me because here we are 2000 plus years later and her heart is still sorrowful. Mm -hmm. she's, she's in heaven before the throne of her son, but her heart is still sorrowful. And that is huge for me as my heart is still sorrowful to know mm -hmm. that um, that tension again, that she is, she's pure joy itself and radiates God's beauty more than any other created being. And yet her heart still sorrows. And I find consolation in that. I find, I find a home in her heart, in her sorrowful heart. Um, so yeah. Wow. I'm so grateful for her. I, ne I have never actually stopped to think that she, here she is in pure happiness and joy, mm -hmm. gazing at her son, but her heart mm -hmm. still beats a, a sorrowful beat like that. That to me is um, excruciatingly painful, but so beautiful. Yes. Like it's because we're, we're wrapped up in that sorrow. Yes. Mm, man I love her so much she's so she's such a mother mm -hmm. she's such a mother to mm -hmm. to be able to give consolation yes when we're we're hurting so badly and I think today we need her more than anything yes we do we really um, do she, she understands our pain as as you so yes. so beautifully can relate to yes um what has your relationship I, I know it has changed with her but um is it more um it's it's it more intimate but how do does she show up for you on a daily basis like you said that you rely on her now more than anything mm -hmm. I would say it's the the motherly consolation you know when when you are going through something and your earthly mom like has been through it too or understands it's just like good to know that your mom is mm. there and she understands mm. and like you know when I've been in labor and my mom calls and says breathe through that contraction because she understands what I'm going through you know there's something mm. there that's just tender and consoles you and helps you through I would say in a spiritual way I feel like Mary does that for me, mm. you know, that she, she understands and 
she's just a soft place to land. Um, yeah. The image of the Pieta, where Our Lady is holding her son, her dead son, on her lap. I have a friend who lost a little boy at 18 months as well. And I went to her place because I had called her. I don't know why I called her that morning, but I called her and she told me that she was, her son had died mm -hmm. and she was holding him. Mm -hmm. So I quickly got in the car and went up. And when I walked into that room, that was the image I saw. She was sitting there holding her son. Mm -hmm. And all I could see was the Pieta. Mm -hmm. Like she, she is relatable. You know, people mm. think that Our Lady is this statue, you know, that immovable and right. too pure, too, too, too perfect. Mm -hmm. But I see her as all that, you know, pure and perfect, but she's a mother. Mm -hmm. She's human. Yes. We need to see you reflect Our Lady so beautifully to me. Um, oh, thank you. And I think we need to have more women to reflect her face mm -hmm. because it, it speaks to, especially to the feminine heart. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, so seeing this friend of mine in her sorrow and her suffering, all I could see was Our Lady. Yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful for, for these um, beautiful uh, witnesses to that, which you are one of them. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's, it's so um, reaffirming, especially in a world where our femininity and our motherhood is, is not upholded as it should. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yes. Anyway, your story is magnificent. Beckett, your saint, his anniversary will be the 11th of May. Is that right? Yes, May 11th. I will be praying to him. <laughs> and I, I do, actually. I have a little boy who stutters, and I have been praying to Beckett for, oh, you know. that's beautiful. I, I really do believe he's, he is the saint for. What's, what's, his, what's his? The children who need him. Like, he, there's been a lot of things that have happened through his intercession for little children who struggle. Um, the week that he died, I hope this is okay to share. It public, I think it is. The week that he died, there was a little girl, four years old, who had never spoken um, in her life. And they asked Beckett's intercession. And within two hours, she said, she started speaking, said her first words. Um, and that's, it, that's interesting that you bring up the speaking because it's happened twice. There's another little girl who stutters that um, her mother believes she's been helped through Beckett's intercession. Yeah. So um, I believe him. it too. <laughs> I have been. He, from he suffered a lot in this life. And so I feel like his heart, he's going to have a tender heavenly heart towards especially children who struggle and suffer. All right. I'm on to it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send you an email. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, but since I have been praying to him, I have seen an improvement in his speech. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. And that was, you know, before, I, before Beckett died, when you were asking for prayers and things, I was praying for him. Now I pray to him. <laughs> so I am grateful for your little Beckett, your saint Beckett. Um, 
Well, thank you so much for blessing us with your witness and your courage mm-hmm. and your your humanity, your your humility, being able to, you know, um, acknowledge that it's not easy, but it's good. Thank you. Yes. Well, all glory to God for that. He is all him. It is not me. It is all him. And I just praise him for everything he has done for our family, for Beckett. Um, now I'm just asking Beckett to help us all get home too. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be bringing, <laughs> he'll bring you up. Don't worry. Um, before we finish the podcast, I asked my guests something that brought them joy this week. Uh, it can be anything. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. Well, I'll share with you that. So we are in early spring here in the Carolinas and my children and I have been outside every day preparing our garden. And so we've been covered in dirt and it's been so good to be outside and to be working together. So I would say that for sure this week has been, it's been very good. It's almost healing to get, you know, to get out in the dirt a little Mm. bit. It's been very good for all of us. So good. I'm desperate. We've had so much rain here um, and my garden is a mess. I'm desperate. Send to get it this out way. Send it over. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We were in a drought for years and now we're flooding. <laughs> yeah, droughts oh. and flooding rains. That's Australia. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Well, we hope to see you this side sometime soon. I would love to come. Thank you Good. so much. God bless you all. And thank you to your listeners for listening. Thank you very much. It was an honor to have you on here. So thank you. Thank you. Um,